Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our weekly discussion about what we've been watching. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined here by Chris Yates. It's great to be here, Dan. It's great to see you. Yes. Uh, I'm alive. I'm upright, Chris. You had some uh, health health problems this week? <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Unexpected trip to hospital, but you know, it's all good. It's excellent that yeah. you're um, well and that uh, you didn't become another statistic. No. I mean, in a way, I am obviously another statistics. <laughs> we but, all are, uh, yes. You know, uh, for what it is, I'm alive. It's all good. I'm, I'm guessing uh, you might have had a little bit of recovery time at home, and I'm guessing that you probably spent a fair amount of that time watching television. Okay, so here's the thing. First of all, apologies we didn't release an episode last week, and it's because the day of which we'd usually be recording like a podcast or two, I happen to have been lying in a hospital bed without a gallbladder anymore. <laughs> so, that didn't end up happening. So, But we're here this week, one week later. Yes. Good turnaround. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You've done well. You've recovered well. But yeah, so the thing that I discovered is that when you come out of surgery, and it was a keyhole surgery, it wasn't like it was major surgery by any means, uh, but you know, it's certainly something where you're knocked out for a few hours and sure. you come to and then like things aren't really sitting on you the same way anymore and you're looking at every doctor suspiciously. <laughs> You come to, uh, for a few days, you have like all the time in the world to watch TV. But let me tell you, Chris, all the best intentions going, you know what? I will watch all 10 hours of this Amazon drama. <laughs> you don't do it because you can't really pay attention. Yeah, sure. Like, I'm trying to read things on screen. I couldn't even like make out words. It was just a blurry mess. Oh, that's no good. So, the first thing I watched when I hit the couch, and it's because I got like a um, system which lets me access a lot of like weird, obscure, like US stuff. I came across this one special and it was the perfect just lying in bed not being able to understand what you're experiencing in the world. And it was a special that was made, it's about like 70 minutes. Uh, IMDb lists it as a feature film. And I don't have the name of it in front of me. I want to call it like maybe Movie Madness. Right. And it is Steve Buscemi. Yep. And I want to say the dude's name is Mark Boone Jr., you know the dude from uh, Sons of Anarchy with like the really massive beard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the yeah. dude I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It was him, but Sans beard. And so I'm looking at him going, you really look familiar, <laughs> but I just could not pick it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's made in 1986, and it's literally the two of them as like weird, uh, like just alternative stoner dudes from the mid 80s. Yes. And it's just them sitting in a cinema watching movie clips. Oh, wow. Where did you find this? I, I feel like it's very familiar sounding. So I found it streaming on Pluto TV, which is a US streaming service filled with lots of of weird, cheap, nasty programs. Mm. And this is one that happens to be playing on loop for a couple of days. But it was perfect. And so it was like weird clips of just unusual films that I'd seen a whole bunch of the clips before, but then there are other stuff which just wasn't even really that good. However, when you're lying there and barely sort of able to really comprehend what you're experiencing, it was fantastic. Yeah, wow. I, I definitely have heard of this. I feel like I may have even seen it at some point, but that seems unlikely. No, no, it's entirely possible. So I, when I was doing my bit of reading going, what is this that I'm watching? Because I couldn't even place the era of Steve Buscemi. Because 1986 yeah, Steve Buscemi still looks a lot like 1996 Steve Buscemi. Yes. Like, you can tell, like, he's a bit older now. You can see the difference. But back then, there's not that much of a difference. He's like the same wiry dude. But yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like I was trying to like read up on it, and in the comments, lots of people seem to be aware of this program. Now, the problem with Steve Buscemi's IMDb profile is that he's, he's got, got about so 7 many things movies. that even when he tries scrolling to 1986, he gets some RSI in the thumb because yeah, yeah. you know it's just not great. Horace and Pete, I forgot about that. That was a good one. You didn't like it, did you? I've watched the first like maybe two episodes, and then I never got back to it. And when I tried getting back to it, it was post all the Louis C.K. business, and I just felt uncomfortable doing it. Sure. 
because I was only really watching it so I'd be able to engage in conversation about it. But like realistically, who wants to talk to me about Louis C.K. stuff now? <laughs> Nobody. But yeah. Alan Alder, of course, he was. Uh, that's, there's a lot to talk about there. Oh, of course, you mean Thirty Rocks, Alan Alder. Thirty Rocks, Alan Alder. Is he from anything else? The film was called Film House Fever Film from 1986, Fever. and he played Tony. Excellent. I love it. I'm going to check it out for sure. Yeah. Um, I watched the first episode of 30 Rock again the other day, just because it came up again on the uh, ABC Comedy Channel. Jeez, so it's good. you've watched the same episode within how many weeks? Like two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. But I think that must be how quickly they're circling around on that channel as well. Cause well, you said they were playing like three or four episodes a night. So yeah, it must possibly. be happening pretty quick. Jeez, it's good. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, other than the things that we've been talking about, which is what we've been watching. <laughs> yes. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. Usually we do two each. Uh, Chris, I think you're just doing one. See how we go. I might have two, actually. You're going to squeeze the second one out? No, maybe we'll just do one for this one. One for this one. But I'm going to structure this a little bit differently. Cool. So I'll do one, you do one, then I'll do one. Great. But at the end, we're going to have a special spoiler section because both the things I'm talking about this week have spoilery elements. Right. And I want to make sure that it's clear for people. Great. Now, a bit of uh, housekeeping to take care of. Mm -hmm. Okay. In the podcast, for most of the podcast episodes, I've had time codes on the various apps. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at it and you're listening to a show that you don't really care about, and the case that was raised to me by one of our listeners the other week was, you know, when there's that guy talking about those kids' TV shows. <laughs> so you can just open up I'm not going to tell you what my friends say. Anyway, continue. <laughs> you can just... It wasn't like even a friend of mine. It was oh, just cool. an unsolicited comment on Twitter. Oh, great. And I can't remember the gentleman's <laughs> name, but I've had a big week, so I apologize to that guy. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. I'm going to just talk about kids' shows from now on. No, uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, but usually what I do is with the time code, if sure. you open up your app and you see the time code, you'll probably see it's hyperlinked in the show notes. You can just like skip to the next thing by pressing the time code there. Yes. It's just a bit of a podcasting tip to people. Excellent. But I haven't Super. done it for the last couple of episodes and the guy reminded me that I probably need to start doing that again. People are using that, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. so I will endeavor to do so. Excellent. So I apologize that I haven't done that. And if you've had to endure <laughs> shows that you weren't interested in, I apologize. <laughs> So, that'll be in the show notes for this week. Great. And because of this spoiler stuff, I'm going to leave the very spoilery aspects to the end of the show with a special thing saying spoilers for each one. So What am I supposed to do? Walk out of the room or something? No, no, no. You're going to get spoiled. Oh, God. This is your tax for not having seen this fine TV content yet. Fair enough. All right. Mm. Start going. So we're, Go. we're doing this? Okay. Dan, i, I got to do the bit. Dan, what have you been watching? <laughs> Chris, I'm glad you asked. Now, I watched this right before I went into surgery because I didn't know how long I was going to be out for. Maybe maybe forever. Maybe forever. (laughs) And I'd hate to have unfinished business. Yes. So, I did the most important thing I could. And the night before I went into surgery, I went through the... Well, the opening day of a film called Spider-Man Far From Home. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. Heads up, Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. Phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. Chris Yates, I haven't seen you for a number of weeks now. Have you seen the Spider-Man? I have not seen this Spider-Man film yet. I'm waiting on um, you to tell me whether I should watch it or not. Uh, well, first of all, yes. Of course. So, I don't know if you saw the previous Spider-Man starring one Tom Holland, no. not to be confused with Tom Hollander, which would be a very different performance. The last Spider-Man film I saw was the second Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. First of all, that's a pretty good Spider-Man film. It was all right. Okay. That's one with Doc Ock, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's fine. I okay. like it. Okay, all right, sure. Jeez. Anyway, I think that of all the Spider-Mens, mm-hmm. and there's been three theatrical, one TV series, and not including the animated shows, 
or the animated film, which was probably my favourite film of all time. Yeah. Uh, so the okay. So when Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which is the animated film with Miles Morales as the Spider Man in question, so good. When that film came out, I felt really bad for the current live action Spider Man, Tom Holland, and the film franchise that was being built around him because they're really good. They're very charming. They're fun. They've got a really sort of enthusiastic young cast, and there's real energy and comedy and humour that comes from it. A lot of heart, like. It's a really good interpretation of Spider-Man. But then Into the Spider-Verse came along, and I'm like, no, this is the best Spider-Man. But then this one came along, and look, cards on the table, not as good as Into the Spider-Verse, which is, frankly, just one of the best things ever. Absolutely, yes. But it's still pretty good. Uh, The film, what they did was, because we've had uh, five, seven, 25 different Spider-Man films by this point. Yep. They thought, you know what, we're doing a second one with this. Having Spider-Man swing around New York City little bit tired and done by this point. Let's try to break things up. So they take him to Europe. <laughs> yes, good. Okay, which I thought was a great move. I, I remember they when... Um, they don't play Holiday Road, so... Oh, yeah. yeah, right. I yeah. was going to say, I remember when the Bundys went to Europe and married with children to spice things up. A bit yeah, well, they went to London. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I think... I'm pretty sure that's in Europe if you uh, if you look at the map. Yeah. Um, but yes, sorry, I, I remember Jen. when Family Ties went to London <laughs> and they got involved with a jewel thief. Oh, it always happens, doesn't it? There's oh. always some dodgy <laughs> caper happening in old London town. <laughs> the oldie London. Uh, Batman and Robin, I remember going to the ye olde London section of Gotham City. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh. They didn't have the budget to go all the way over there. <laughs> um, so, i, I got to butt in a bit for a second, just to give me some context. Yeah, is sure. this the same Spider-Man who is in the um, the big superhero movies? Yes, so he's the current Marvel... He's good. He's good. I yeah. liked him in those movies. No, he's incredibly charming. So, if you liked him, like, really, these films sell themselves on the charm of Tom Holland. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and he's really great. He's very charming. Uh, Zendaya from TV's Euphoria... Uh, she plays uh, Mary Jane, which is a bit of a twist for the end of the first film. Mm. Yeah. It's really good. Excellent. I highly recommend people go and see it. Uh, they really amp up the role of Samuel L. Jackson in this one. Oh, cool. Okay, because he hasn't really been a fixture of it. Because the Spider-Man films were in a post-Avengers Infinity um, Endgame scenario. Where when they launched the first Spider-Man film, it was basically a buddy thing with him and Tony Stark. Yeah. Okay. Yes, but like yes. the emotional uh, relation, like the emotional crux, the foundation of those Avengers films and this has been that relationship between Spider Man and Tony. But once you've got Tony out of the picture, like where does Spider Man sort of sit within the larger superhero framework? But also, you know, how is he going to survive without like his mentor figure? He needs a mentor. Around? Yes. He's a yeah. young man mm. trying to get his way through town. So yeah, you've got two mentor, well, three mentor figures that kind of play a role in this one. And the film is very much about asserting a father figure into Peter Parker's life. So you've got Nick Fury, um, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Uh, he plays a role, but he's kind of like the gruff uncle. Oh, yeah. Okay. You've got John Favreau playing Happy Hogan, who mm. was Tony Stark's offsider. And so he's in there and he's playing a role where he's kind of like the um, stepdad who's kind of come along and you don't really quite feel comfortable about him, even though he's a bit of a nice guy, but he's trying to make the best of his situation because he's a bit sweet on Aunt May. So, oh, right. Yeah. So there's a bit of a budding relationship there. And so Peter Parker's navigating the relationship there because he doesn't necessarily want to form a relationship with this guy, but at the same time, like it's being sort of thrust upon him. And then also you've got the third character was Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's playing a character named Quentin Beck, who, as the film sets up, there's an alternate universe that's been discovered. And so he comes out and he lays out... Now, hold tight, Chris. All right, all right. Sorry. So he comes out and he lays out the way that the alternate universe exists within the Marvel comic books, which is there's like a... The version that we all know is called like Marvel 616. I don't really know Marvel comics. I'm 
winging it here. <laughs> but, like, that's a thing. And so you got Jake Gyllenhaal, who's supposedly from that Marvel existence, and he's entered the Marvel MCU existence. So they set that up, and he's this nice superhero of whom seems like a bit of an older brother for Spider-Man to lean on. So as far as all those dynamics are, it's fairly fun. But for the first maybe half of the film, while I got a kick out of him being in Europe and playing around with, like, he's in Venice for a while, and uh, I think he goes to Germany. Like, that's kind of fun as a setup, because he's a fish out of water, and you've got that sure. happening. But there's no real dramatic stakes to it. But then something happens in the film, and the film completely opens up at that point, and it becomes very interesting, and you really want to play deep in the margins of what they've set up here. But I can't talk about what that is, Chris, because that's for the spoilers right at the okay. end of the podcast. Sure. So if you don't want to be spoiled... Just jump ahead. Uh, don't listen to the end bit. <laughs> but if you've already seen the film, jump ahead because it's fine. You know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the film gets very interesting at that point. But okay. more on that later. All right. Chris, in the meantime, what have you been watching? I've got an interesting one for you. Uh, this is something that I was watching the show relig- religiously uh, for a while there, but then I just kind of forgot it existed, which happens sometimes when they're not in your in your face and all that kind of stuff. But the beauty of that was that I was able to sit down and binge like 10 episodes of the show that I used to hang out for. Is it the HBO Real Sex series? <laughs> it's not the HBO Real Sex series. I'm talking about the television program called Bob's Burgers. Hi, Len. Uh, is everything okay? Oh, everything's fine. Colleen Caviello was as Colleen as ever. In fact, they should call her Colleen Caviello now. Pretty cool name, to be honest. Bob's Burgers, we're a restaurant. Tina. Yeah, she's here. Mom, it's for you. It's Joanne. Really? Bob, how do I look? Do I look okay? You look uh, uh, great. Just, 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 I'm on the phone. Chris, I've never seen this Bob's Burgers uh, <laughs> created by Lauren Bouchard. Tell me all more about it. Well, it's a, you know it's a very funny show. It, it sits around the um, it's an animated show. Um, it lives in the same. Uh, it's 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 one of those um, animated shows that is not uh, that's hyper real. I guess you could say nothing happens in it that wouldn't happen in a regular show. Um, it's voiced uh, by an amazing cast led by uh, H. John Benjamin, the greatest voiceover artist of our generation, perhaps. Everyone knows all that stuff, um, I would imagine. Uh, so, if people don't know H. John Benjamin, what other shows that people know his voice from? From um, the cartoon Archer. Yes. he was. I feel like you're quizzing me, and the look on your face definitely does that. He was also in that excellent show um, about the kid that made the Handycam stuff of... Uh, home videos. Home videos. Never heard of it. Go on. Uh, and he was also... I want to say he was an actual... Him him himself, not his disembodied voice, was actually in a sketch show. I'm going to say it was the Ben Stiller show, and you're going to say that I'm... Oh, look, that's possible. I'm pretty sure. I don't actually know for sure. I do know he's done a bit of sketch work around the place. He might have even been part of, like, the Mr. Show, like, one of the versions of that around the place. Something like that, yeah, yeah, is what I was thinking. Like, that's the calibre of sketch show. Maybe it wasn't Ben Stiller, but anyway. Uh, uh, His other big voice role was playing Benjamin Katz in Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist. Dr. Katz, of course. Mm. Um, Now, all of those shows have a through line. Yes, which is? Okay, so Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist, was Jonathan, stand-up comedian Jonathan Katz. And I can't think of the name of the partner. It's, like, Tom Snyder? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I the, want to say. The, the late night TV show. I'm guy. not even sure if it's the same Tom Snyder. Oh, really? Or if I'm even getting the name right. However, they set up a production company. Yeah. And so one of the young me. guys that was working on the Dr. Cats, I believe, was Lauren Bouchard, oh, of whom they went off and geez. used the Squiggle Vision animated style that they created for Dr. Cats and applied it to home movies. Home movies yeah. And when he'd done home movies for, it's like maybe six seasons or something along that. 
Uh, he essentially had the clout to go and pitch around the place, and one of the things he pitched that was successful was Bob's Burgers. Wow. So That's a lot a of the same story. like talent sort of carries through all three shows. Yeah, and um, I really, uh, the main thing I wanted to say is that I was just shocked at how high how good it still is you know like it really hasn't um if anything they've gotten better at kind of really um working that half hour into or the 20 minutes into like a a lovely little detailed story which um you know always has one one sort of subplot dovetails nicely comes together at the end bob's doing something really funny stupid slash brilliant um it just works so well it seems to me like this is a bit of a natural heir to not necessarily quite The Simpsons and not necessarily quite King of the Hill, but definitely taking the sensibilities of both as family comedies. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely more the King, more so King of the Hill is because it's thing not really satirical. Always, no, it's really not. It's just kind of a um, it's a character driven show most definitely, and there's a bunch of other little characters in the town that are getting a lot more play. Uh, as it goes on, Aziz Ansari is uh, still in there doing one of the side voices, one of the f- kids' friends, and he gets a good... Um, he's still going in season nine, I think it was that I said. They've been going for that long. Yeah, so wow. that's it. And I thought, I, I didn't actually see, I think I drifted off somewhere during season eight. but um, And that was an interesting one. They did a lot of more fan service stuff, I felt like, in the last couple of seasons. But this one... Because like, this is a show where it's got a very loyal fan base. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, they, they did a whole episode. It was the first episode of season eight. It was a was drawn by fans where they actually got people to submit <laughs> animation. And they I don't know how it actually panned out, but it was all different styles and really wacky. and That's really cool. Absolutely crazy and really cool. But it was also um, nice to see them just get back to doing what they do best, which is telling those stories. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think, yeah, season nine has just wrapped up. I found it. I, I remembered to look for it when it was one episode away from um, finishing the season. So, uh, a good time to catch it, as I say, because I watched 10 episodes on the first night, I think, that I refound it. And, um, yeah, well and truly kept me going the whole way. So, think of this more as a reminder to watch Bob's Burgers if you haven't watched it already. And I just think it's taken this sort of that... I think it's Fox, right? It's it's another. It's like Fox, a, yeah. And it's just taken it in such a good direction um, from the sort of endless, endless hole of just uh, annoying in jokes and crassness that um, Family Guy and American Dad kind of. American Dad was a bit better, um, a bit smarter, perhaps. But you know, it was really good to see them kind of try something different, and it be so well. What I imagine is quite successful. Yeah, still something going. with heart. Yeah, bit of heart. And I, you yeah. know, I'm not a sentimental guy. No, that's a lie. I'm very sentimental. On the subject of animation, yes, uh, there was an article that I published in the Always Be Watching newsletter last week. I definitely and it was, read it. Did, well, I was going to ask, did you read it? it? Was about the anime industry? No. So this is the thing I didn't understand about anime, and it was really eye-opening. And if you aren't aware, oh man, of this, I did read this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So essentially, what it is, uh, anime is incredibly cheap to produce. The reason for that is Astro Boy, when it was uh, created back in like the early sixties. Yeah. Yeah, when they produced that, they were having trouble selling it. Like they were making the show, and they just could not find a place to actually broadcast it. So in order to actually be able to sell the series, they sold it really, really cheap. And the way they were able to do that is by cutting the cost of the animation and paying the animators next to nothing. Right. But the problem is, is that they set a precedent. So then when post Astro Boy, when people were looking to buy animated shows, it was like, well, Astro Boy only costs that much. Like you've got to deliver it at a similar like cost level. 
And so obviously the cost of these things now cost more than Astro Boy did back in the day. Mm. But that's only just like grown with inflation. That's still really just dirt cheap to produce. Wow. And so you've got this situation now where anime, because, you know, Japan, like people in Japan love anime and love it so dearly. It's such a part of the culture that it's a real honor to be able to actually work as an animator. But the animators who are doing it are being paid next to nothing. Wow. And they're doing it over the love of it, but they can't really afford to keep on doing it. And you've got this really strong, like high burnout rate with them. And it's just like a really exploitative industry. And it all happens because there's this precedent set where you can't like spend too much in anime. And while that's interesting enough in itself, you've got these big multinationals yeah. now coming in like Netflix, of whom are investing heavily in anime, but they're still paying relatively the same prices that they are for other anime around the place. So Netflix is benefiting somewhat by having fairly low labor wow. costs. And you've got this industry where you've got so much money going into the industry because around the world, anime is becoming one of the big sort of things that people are watching yeah, and engaging yeah. in. But at the same time, you've also got like this um, culture of people just being exploited for... It's not trickling down to the artists yet again. Someone's no. getting rich out of this stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a really... Uh, but yeah, yeah. I knew nothing about any of this until this article that came from... I want to say it was Vox that I was reading. Yeah, it. yeah, right. I it mean, was either Vox or Polygon. Actually, probably Polygon. It's interesting. Like, there's always been the conversation about the American animation, um, you know, being done in Korea for very yeah. short, for very cheap amounts of money as well, and um, the exploitative practices of that as well. Yeah, the difference there though is that that's working the same way as production, and just generally where just you've every, like gone to a yeah. third world country and you've yeah. got people working on this stuff. Whereas in Japan, they're doing it because they've got such a love for yeah, anime, yeah, yeah. and so you're exploiting people's passion as well as their time. Yeah, yeah, mean. And also, I mean, just keep in mind, like, the scales of economy in these countries as well. Like, to be able to live and survive in countries where, like, American animation has been exported to previously, you can still kind of survive on that money, but you can't survive in Japan because Japan's an expensive place to live. Yeah, and it has a, you know, it has a strange work ethic anyway, where I read a story mm. the other day about people working themselves to death and, you know, like, out of these... Um you know, just generally, just your, your, your slave wages in the offices and stuff like that. So yeah. imagine that cranked up into something that, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all very depressing. Well, yeah, it's really just changed my perception on everything. How has it changed your consumption of anime? Uh, not, I mean, it's pretty much remained at the exact same volume, which is minimal. Not that much, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've got nothing against anime. It just doesn't really enter my life yeah, that yeah. frequently. I think some people really get it and some people, um, yeah. it's more of a passing thing. I, I've got an aspirational desire to watch more anime. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Especially now that I know people are being exploited. <laughs> Especially now that there's some misery associated to it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's interesting to think about all that kind of stuff. And uh, thanks for raising it, Dan. So we're going to do your other show now. What have you been watching? Uh, like much of the world, I've been watching Stranger Things 3. Now, Chris, it seems redundant talking about Stranger Things at this point because everyone knows what it is. It's a very big program. Yeah. But- I guess maybe what I wanted to explore with this segment is, Chris, why don't you like Stranger Things? I think I watched two episodes of the first season of Stranger Things and uh, maybe even three. I really tried with it. Um, there's a certain element of it is that whenever somebody tries pandering to me to that extent, <laughs> then I'm just going to, I don't want to be pandered to. I want to be, I want to, you know, don't make things that I will like. It'll, it will, don't make things that you think I will like because I will only resent you for it, which is a stupid attitude. And I, I accept that it's probably stopped me from enjoying certain things, but it just felt so deliberate, so hammy. I was getting into, um, I just recently, before I watched it, I'd watched Close Encounters and I'd watched um, something else that Spielberg made. And I was kind of like enjoying enjoying the actual uh you know like the, the original texts the original texts exactly uh and i even saw and then i saw um 
you know, Ready Player One, which is which I don't remember all of because I was kind of in a haze and it was all just bashing off my face really late at night one time. But I enjoyed some of the elements of that too and could see how that was a modern take on that kind of style. But um, to see it just being like rehashed in such a hackneyed way and like the music of which I'm a big fan of a lot of music from that era and just to hear it all sort of shoehorned in there at inappropriate moments uh, and to see and and like Winona seemed like this kind of weird shell of her former self it was nice to see her getting work but she wasn't the Winona I liked so anyway that's why I didn't like it and that's why I kind of gave up on it now a question for you is when did you watch it so my experience of Stranger Things is I saw the screeners before the show had debuted anywhere sure and like the show was getting no love at all from Netflix like they just sort of sent the screeners out and it's like yeah whatever oh really and I watched the show and I got like two or three episodes in I was like this show is incredible. I really in, like. I was really into it. Yeah, and I just binged through the whole thing, which I rarely do with screeners. I usually watch the first two or three, then I'll wait for them to actually debut. Yeah, like as a show, and I'll start watching it with everyone else. But like, I felt really just compelled that I wanted to get through this. Yeah, no, I watched it amongst amid the hype. And yeah, the, so and know, I'm wondering if that damaged it somewhat because the yeah. hype on this show is completely not worth it. Yeah, it definitely yeah. was over the top, and um. And yeah, and that, again, that's always all, something that puts me off. So. All the nonsense around Barb and <laughs> yeah, 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 I just uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what's your? So I've read a few things on people that have persevered with the show. I've read people maybe one of one of my friends texted today and said like, I made it to the end of Stranger Things three. Geez, that was hard work, kind of thing. <laughs> and I was wondering if you had a similar take on it to that. Okay, so my general approach has been: I really like that first season. I enjoyed the way that. It had taken a lot of the iconography and a lot of the storytelling beats from things that I'd grown up with watching it as a, you know, young child of the 80s. So I'd kind of grown up with most of those things just being part of my formative, like, pop cultural sort of touchstones. Mm Mm-hmm. So I grew up with uh, uh, like I really like the way that the kids are effectively like there's that Ethan Hawke film Explorers oh, yeah, kids yeah, riding around yeah. on bikes and all that sort of thing like I just kind of enjoyed that it took all of that and created a new text around like that as an idea so I was kind of really into that I enjoyed it when the second season came along and it was part of that like there was a lot of expectation because the first season had been such a pop cultural success and I went to like an event at the opera house which is like this huge lavish to do and it wow. was you know it just kind of felt like everything was a bit overblown and then the show I think just sort of suffered a little bit from just sequelitis it didn't really quite have a clear story it needed to be telling and a reason to justify its own existence sure. and it was kind of just coasting along on like the love and goodwill that everyone had mm. but I kind of felt like the season actually sort of um, found what it was that worked about the first season and really sort of just drilled into the characters a bit more and found just like those uh, the connective tissue between what makes those characters work as like ensemble groups and what it is that we as viewers are connecting to so they paired off all the characters into like much smaller groups because the cast of that show is becoming fairly unwieldy and there's still like two or three characters that don't quite get enough sort of to do throughout the run of the show and there's only eight episodes and I think maybe with Thursday they could probably give them enough room but you know they're just sticking with the eight episodes uh, but you've got characters of whom I think they just worked out over the first two seasons. These characters, when paired up together, really work quite well. Yep. And so for this third season, they'd perfect the formula. So I kind of felt like it was maybe a little bit too perfect to a right. certain degree. <laughs> and I bristled a little bit about that. But I did find the first maybe two episodes, it was great just getting back into the world of Hawkins, Indiana, and just seeing where the characters are up to a year later and just like reveling in that. And then when the actual story started coming along, I just got a little bit, just a bit bored by it. It's kind of felt like it was going through the motions a little. 
And while I was just saying there's only eight episodes, and so some characters weren't getting the sort of full thing, I did feel that while the structure was generally better than it's been in the previous seasons, it still felt like there was just a whole lot of busy work that they were doing for about three or four episodes yeah, to get yeah. to the third act. And it's like when you're watching any sort of big Hollywood film and the first act's kind of fun as it's setting everything up and then the second act feels like coasting until they get to, you know, the adventure of like the, the final act. It just felt very much like it was structured that way where, you know, there was kind of some fun things going on, but I did find myself picking up the phone a little bit and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, scanning sure. through. But there's a couple of just outstanding moments and I want to maybe leave the two things that really resonated with me to the spoiler space at the end. Are we, at, are we up to that point yet? I think um, we've got to be pretty close. We probably are. So, I guess maybe in total summary of uh, Stranger Things 3, I really enjoyed it. If you've been a bit hesitant to get into it because you've wanted season two, definitely give it a look. There's a few moments that, you know, you'll just be highly enamored with, and I'm about to talk about them now. So, if you haven't watched it, this is probably a great time to say goodbye, and thank you for listening. Thanks a lot. We should have some kind of siren sound effect or something in there. Yeah. Or maybe some sort of Benny Hill style thing, or just like a Aruga. <laughs> That's yes. Yeah. Here we go. That would be our style. Multiple Arugas now. <laughs> okay. Welcome to the spoiler alert section okay, of so the show. We'll keep on talking about Stranger Things, then we'll go back to Spider Man. Yeah, good idea. Okay. So there's two standout moments for me with Stranger Things season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the very first episode, and I knew how this is going to play out because I've seen movies and TV shows before, but you've got the character of Dustin, who's the weird guy with the teeth missing. Uh, he's a lovable character. I can't get enough of that guy. Like, I just think he's the best. But you've got the setup in this that he's been at math camp or science camp or some sort of, you know, nerd nerdy camp. camp. Yep. Some sort of nerd camp. He's been away for uh, the summer and so he's come back and, you know, he's trying to integrate with his friends, but they're all too busy with, like, girlfriends and boyfriends and that sort of thing. And he's, jerks. he's there trying to get everyone excited about going to the top of this hill to set up a... Um, like a transmission tower and be able to like pick up radio signals. It's effectively like really fancy ham radio. Cool. Because he's a ham radio enthusiast. I'm into it. I like but this But he's idea. telling everyone, he met a girl when he was away and she's just like Phoebe Cates from Fast Times at Richmond High and she's like the most attractive girl in the world and she's amazing. Okay, obviously he's lying and everyone's, you know, just immediately just assumes that he's just making it all up. But he's going to the top of the hills with the idea that, you know, we'll set this up and we'll be able to talk to her. Obviously, they get distracted and start hearing some Russian voices come through the um, system and realize that the Russians are invading Indiana. Uh, yeah. So anyway, adventures begin and whatnot. <laughs> so all that's going on. But because I've seen movies and stuff before, I knew that by the end of it, it would be revealed that the girl actually exists. and that. So the show plays out. That obviously happens. But there's this amazing sequence where Dustin, just after he connects with her, and the only reason he connects with her is that he needs to know a mathematical equation. Right. I forget what it is. Um, I can't even think what it is. But he sort of needs to know like this figure. And he doesn't remember, like it's like a six-digit code, and he doesn't remember what it is. But they need that to type into like a safe thing to open To save the up. world? Save the world, exactly. Excellent. So it's all relying on him getting in contact with this girl that no one believes exists. <laughs> and he gets in contact with her, and she's like, oh, you know, I'll totally tell you what it is. However, I want you to do that special thing that both of us love. And so he's stuck in this moment where everyone's listening in on a ham radio from around town, and they're all just waiting to hear like the six-digit code so they can save the world and get going. And he's nervous. He's like a 13-year-old kid and, you know, uh, his girlfriend's getting him to start singing with him the theme songs of the never-ending story. Oh, my god! And so they've got this beautiful duet where the two of them are getting super excited and just, like, really just into, like, the passion and love they have for one another while singing this beautiful, great, like, theme song. And, like, in your chair, you're there and you're like, yeah! 
and then they get the code and you know it all starts going on but it's just such a wonderful realization of taking a beloved part of pop culture and just reincorporating it within the lives of these characters and it actually works nicely. I don't think it's as cynical as I know that you feel that it is right <laughs> no, now. It would have shit me so much. No, this is like, it is such a genuine moment that I think it actually sort of transcended it. Fair enough. As opposed to the rest of the show, which has so much corporate sponsorship involved. Oh, right. Because Netflix, because they don't really carry advertising in shows, they've actually been doing a lot more product placement of late. And I've got a very strong product integration with Coca-Cola. And of course, because it's in 1985, you've got uh, New Coke, who's just entered the marketplace. And so there's a bit of a joke where one character starts talking really passionately about New Coke. And it's obviously a joke because nobody likes New Coke and it's just the worst. I've never had New Coke. It might be fine. <laughs> no, but I remember it being a big thing but, in the 80s yeah. or whatever. They always and used to talk about That scene by itself, perfectly fine. But when there's been so many Coke vending machines and right. signage that's been in the background of almost every scene leading up to this point, just a bit much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But the other moment that really just resonated with me, and I thought this is actually fairly masterful, is it's 1985. So obviously, Chris, what's playing in a cinema? Ghostbusters. Uh, 1984's Ghostbusters, which is covered in Stranger Things 2, as we all know. (laughs) Sorry, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. (laughs) So there's a scene where they go into the theater and they're hiding out from the Russians and they're sitting there just watching Back to the Future. Anyway, one of the scenes ends up taking, uh, I think it's Dustin again, um, up to the uh, projection booth. And so you've got like the Back to the Future taking place behind him. You don't see it. Like they showed it up on the cinema screen at one point, but it's not like it's playing in front of him. But you can kind of hear it playing around in the background. But it's one of these scenes where he's communicating with everyone over there, walkie-talkies, and everyone's like relaying information to each other and the dramatic stakes are all imp- like increasing. But the scene is taking all the dramatic musical cues from Back to the Future happening in the background, which are the cues oh, that wow. we all know so well. Yes. And it's integrated into the scene where it's dropped the Stranger Things like iconic uh, character sounds that you usually hear through it. And instead it's just using the Back to the Future tune. Anyway, it's just such a clever sort of mix of text. That I like it when, yeah, I like these. I like these ideas when they've done it good. Uh, incidentally, the Neverending Story uh, song um, was produced by Giorgio Moroder. Yes, I know. Uh, he did a lot of great um, soundtrack work in the eighties, yeah. as well as all his other fantastic disco and other things. But yeah, he was. I can only assume that future me, as I edit this, will include the Electric Dream song through <laughs> yeah, the background. Well, there you go. Moment. That's another one. I There was so many, but you, when you really... It's almost like every big hit. There's a weird one. Oh, Take My Breath Away by Berlin from Top Gun. That was, was produced Marotta. by Marotta. Like, heaps of stuff that's, like, completely different sounding. He is the secret he source of the 80s. He just did everything for a while there. And, of course, the Scarface. Yeah, all the scuff. He basically invented, you know, <laughs> 80s... Well, you know, re- re- took it somewhere really cheesy and awesome, um, the whole new wave thing that was going on there. And there's... Did you know this, that there's actually a version of it in sung in French? I did know this. By the same artist. Because as soon as I finished watching the Stranger <laughs> Things, I was not only watching the never-ending story, but I was also like Wikipedia and going through it. Of course you were. Of course you were. Yeah. Uh, now, the other thing I wanted to spoil was going back to Spider-Man. Yes. Okay. So, if you haven't seen Spider-Man, this is going to be some Spider-Man spoilers, but you've had time. Yeah, you're it's all tuned good. out now. Okay. Spider-Man Far From Home reaches the midpoint where the film suddenly flips because you find out that the uh, Jake Gyllenhaal character, Quentin Beck, has been lying this entire oh, time. Imagine He's that. not from an alternate universe, but rather anyone of whom is like a comic guy, like you know that Quentin Beck, Beck is Mysterio and that he's a bad guy. So the revelation that he's actually a bad guy is, you know, kind of expected. But what I like about the film is that because he's a fairly 
Like, he's not, like, an obscure Spider-Man character, but if you don't, like, read Spider-Man comics or have watched the cartoons, like, for 30-odd years... Yeah, yeah. Like, you're not going to know who Mysterio is. No, I, I hadn't yeah. heard of Mysterio. So, having this revelation that Mysterio is suddenly the bad guy, because they played it so closely, like, their chest, that suddenly, like, the actual flip, like, you could kind of sense in the audience... And I saw it at the opening days. So it's going to be the hardcores in there. Yeah, yeah. But you could hear a few people going, "Ah," oh. and <laughs> yeah. it was kind of nice. Like it was there was definitely two audiences in that yeah, cinema yeah, of yeah. whom were the people waiting for the revelation and the people that were going into it, yeah, fairly mm. clean. So that was kind of fun. But there's this amazing moment right at the end of the movie where, because it's a Marvel film, so they got these post-credit sequences. Mm-hmm. So you got two like twist reveals. One, you find out that the Nick Fury character has actually been someone else's entire time. And that's fine, whatever. I don't really care about that. What? What do you mean? It doesn't. Like, did you watch Captain Marvel? Yeah. I know we discussed it on yeah, this no, podcast. Yeah, no, I did. I did uh, so, the really. scrolls. Uh, so, the yeah. character that was played by Australia's own, and his name just dropped out of my mind. Um, uh, I know. Yeah. Um, uh, Mendo. Yeah, Mendo. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. Yeah. I've even met Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> it's so rude. Uh, but yeah, like uh, Mendo, like his character has been portraying Nick Fury because they can shapeshift. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so which ones haven't been Nick Fury? Uh, well, I mean, we don't quite know. Like, in previous films, like, maybe it's been Mendo all along. Oh, my God. However, like, Nick Fury's playing a role in this. Like, he's fully aware that he's there portraying you know, yes. Nick Fury and whatnot. Yes, yes. Sorry, that's all fine. It was, like, a bit of okay. a fun sort of throwaway. Sure, sure. But there's a second sequence, which oh, is, like, boy. the real sort of uh, microphone drop, which is Spider-Man, who's just finished saving the, saving the world, back in New York City, is taking his girlfriend for a swing around. Uh, closing credits happen, but then it suddenly comes back and you see Spider-Man as he's just like left MJ on the sidewalk and he looks up on the screen and it's like one of those sort of Times Square style big video screens and J. Joe Jameson's up there and he's talking about Spider-Man and the Spider-Man menace and ends up revealing that they know the identity of Spider-Man because Quentin Beck, before he's killed off at the end of the film, uh, tells everyone that, you know, it's Spider-Man. They show the video that they've just uncovered of it. Ah. So, Peter Parker's identity has been revealed. But the real revelation there is that not only is it J. Joe Judge Amerson up on the screen, but he's still being played by J.K. Simmons. Wow. Of whom did this amazing performance as J. Jonah through the uh, Sam Raimi films. Wow. And I've got him back just playing the role again. That's weird, right? Yeah. It was completely weird. <laughs> and so I'm watching it in the audience and I'm just like, what the? And my brain actually exploded at that moment. That's a good... Yeah, yeah. that's really... Uh, that's an interesting thing. This is a bit of a... Uh, it's it's a bit of a thing that Spider-Man gets revealed throughout the comics and stuff, right? Like people yeah, know so, who he is at various points. And- yeah, and they always find a way to sort of roll it back somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, it's kind of interesting. Any J.K. Simmons uh, is a reason to watch it. So yeah. I'll now watch two hours of a movie that I'm vaguely interested in just for that 30 seconds at the end. Look, it is pretty fun. I do think that the first half hour felt more like a slog than it should have. And it's because yeah. the film is structured so much around the reveal of Jake Gyllenhaal sure. who's actually the bad guy. That there's no real dramatic stakes built into it until that point. So as soon as that happens, like it's all dramatic stakes and they actually handle it fairly like fun and engagingly. And yeah. it's a quality film from that point in. But I actually struggle with telling people that they should see it on the base of that first half. Because while it's fun being in Europe and stuff, there's not enough really happening in it for, yeah, well, for you to really sort of feel like you're getting much out of it. Your, um, one of your comments about... Because uh, we did the podcast before I'd watched Captain Marvel and um, you did 
mention in that that you thought the first half an hour of that was a bit of a uh, hard going too with the kind of well it, was it wasn't really a, an origin but it was all that space stuff and it yeah, was yeah it's a bit too much exposition yeah and I um it definitely made it easier to watch knowing that that would be um that, yeah that wasn't going to be the whole film and that there was going to be some, that there would be a change of pace after that first part so it's good to know that I think I could absolutely watch, I could enjoy Spider Man knowing and that same thing in terms of going into it knowing that Mysterio is really a bad guy essentially all you've done is you've just joined the other half of the audience yeah yeah were, no, that's fine yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have uh, figured that out anyway so I'm not going to be too well, see, upset about I'm this I'm not game. sure if you actually would have because they actually play it really well, well. it's that well done yeah, and right. what I thought was particularly canny about the production like the pre-production and all the sort of buzz coming out of it is that Marvel kind of played it a little bit close where it's like Jake Gyllenhaal revealed that he's from like another universe and mm. then it sort of seemed like they kind of grudgingly had to admit that he was from another universe as though that said too much at that point oh yeah right so that actually nicely leaked that out there so when they did that like there was even part of me where it's like well he's obviously going to be a bad guy but then I was thinking like maybe he isn't maybe there is like an alternate universe yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. playing around something there and it's just not a great movie but yeah, yeah but it was good flipped around and became very fun and entertaining excellent yeah. stuff still not as good as the first uh, Spider-Man with Tom Holland but it's really fun cool I'll watch yeah. that one too we're Thanks. done. We're done. Thanks, Dan. This feels Dan. like a long one. It is a bit long, but it's well, there was good stuff in it, I feel. And we needed to catch up because we hadn't seen each other for a few weeks. And also, frankly, you're the only person I've talked to that hasn't been my <laughs> wife for the last week. So <laughs> I feel sorry for her and for me a little bit as well. But we got, <laughs> we got through it, so it's going to be all right. Uh, I'm working a bit of a vacuum here too, so um, it's nice to have some conversation. Uh, this has been the Always Be Watching podcast. Yeah. Um, Check you us can- out on the web, alwaysbewatching.com look at us on that website um get the emails sent to your inbox um i, I gotta get you to send them to my actual email address that i check so that i read them a bit more often because i only remember like once a week and then it's a, then it's too many to get through i yeah. feel like if i did it every day it'd be better yeah i used to like when you did a weekly digest uh well the weekly digest was really just the what you watch what you should watch over the weekend and what i'm actually really waiting for is for the company that powers the email newsletter to provide categories where i can actually break these up and let people subscribe to the parts that they want to i just can't do it at the moment which is a bit frustrating that's all right i just need to read more of them uh (laughs) they're they're very good content that's a lot of it uh you should do this wrap up okay uh thanks for listening (laughs) bye